Hey there, Jordan Sheridan, status quo in the house. It is Tuesday, January 18th, 2022. I hope everybody's having an okay day. I hope everybody's still staying safe. Uh, I know the media is pushing Omicron is starting to fade. Uh, hospitals and nurses I speak with, uh, it's, it's still full stream in a lot of parts of the country and getting worse in other parts of the country. So getting a little better in New York, um, as Boston, uh, D.C., the, the cities hit earliest, but now spreading uh, to other parts of the country. So hope everybody's uh, doing OK. Uh, delighted to be joined by a friend of the show who, rain or shine, we're going to try to have on at least once a week now. Uh, Steve Grumbine, co-founder, Real Progressives. Uh, we'll get into uh, your new shows that you're working on that everybody should follow. Um, we got a lot to talk about today, Steve. I asked our audience do your patriotic duty as a status quo member or viewer. Smash that like button, thumbs up button right under the live stream. Share this live stream. Uh, the more people uh, that see it, the more people that like, share, comment, all that stuff, the more people that will see this. It, for whatever reason, YouTube's algorithm bumps it up a little if the more people that like it. Uh, before we get into uh, the show, I want to give an update to the audience. Yesterday, uh, I broke a major Flint water story uh, in The Guardian. Uh, myself with Charlie Leduff, who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist uh, with, uh, he used to be at the New York Times. He's been independent since uh, for many years. We broke a major story in The Guardian uh, about essentially major RICO financial charges that were in the works. RICO is typically throughout history been used against organized crime, the mafia. Uh, we reported that there were RICO charges in the works against Michigan state officials over, uh, I'll use the term allegedly, because I'm a journalist, uh, allegedly fraudulent financial deal, a bond deal that actually led to the Flint water crisis. But those charges that were in the works died on the vine when current Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, a Democrat, she came into office she fired all the prosecutors that were on the verge of filing those RICO charges. Uh, she put in a new team. What do you know? No RICO charges and other already filed financial charges uh, were also dropped. Uh, so definitely check out the story in The Guardian. It's actually at the top of my Twitter as we speak. Colin, if we could show it. Uh, currently, we have over uh, 1,600, 1,600 retweets. I know that doesn't, you know, it's like, oh, retweets. It's important. Go to the top of my Twitter, retweet the story, like the story, share the story, because frankly, the way that we're going to put pressure on the attorney general, pressure on other media to cover it is if we get this thing shared further and wider. Real quick, uh, the criminal investigation would not give me a comment before the story went to publish. I reached out for comment. They wouldn't give me a comment after it got published and it started getting around on Twitter. All of a sudden, they sent me a response, a very long response. So it shows you they were feeling a little heat because it was getting around on Twitter and online. So please, please share the story, like the story. Uh, shout out Ryan Grimm uh, had me on the Hills Rising this morning to talk about the story. If any other of our friends and allies in independent media with big channels will do me the favor of having me on or at least covering the story, I've reached out to all of you. I'm not beyond begging. Please cover the story. <laughs> Bigger channels. You say you're independent. You say you're progressive. You say you we need to cover these kind of communities. Well, I'm one of the, you know, I don't mean it to be cocky, Steve. I'm one of the few that I know of independent journalists that actually 
investigate things, actually go on the ground. So it's helpful when you break those stories. We know corporate media is not going to boost it up. So we need independent media to boost these kind of stories up because the bottom, the moral of the story, Flint's in year eight, year eight of their own pandemic, an eight-year pandemic called a water crisis, and the water is still not completely safe, and no one has been convicted, and the financial fraud that led to this has been swept under the rug. So please, 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 I'm not beyond begging, have me on <laughs> to talk about the story or cover it, cover what we broke. Uh, Steve, any thoughts before we move on to the first topic? Nah, corruption is rampant in this country, and for all the talk of getting money out of politics and getting criminals put behind bars, this doesn't seem to be a lot of appetite for putting the heat on this. So hopefully that changes because this story is absolutely got to get out there. Got to get out yes. there. In a nutshell, folks, top line, if you don't have time to read the story right now, one, one set of investigators was actually aggressively following the money. They were about to charge state officials with serious financial crimes for fraud that led to the poisoning of a city. A new attorney general came in, happens to be a Democrat. She cleaned house, fired the prosecutors, fired the, invest, fired the investigators that were working on those financial fraud charges. Rico brought in her own team, gone. The investigation into the financial crimes disappeared, already, already filed financial charges, not the Rico charges, but separately of uh, separately charged financial charges that have already been filed. They were dropped, gone. So really important. Please read the story. It's at the top of my Twitter, share it and ask, tweet at independent hosts to cover it, to have me on. I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> Moving on, Steve, and press that like button, share this stream. Um, so there's been this habit, I'd say, in the Democratic Party um, that when they lose... There's really not a ton of introspection per se. Lost to <laughs> Trump in 2016. Instead of looking at the underlying reasons they lost, they created a new Cold War. Uh, again, you know, Russia and all that stuff. Uh, then in 2020, when Biden barely, out. right, Biden barely by the skin of his teeth won, even though he had all the breaks, he didn't win by that much uh, in the Electoral College. Or uh, popular vote, he won by a lot, but not in the Electoral College. Uh, they, their lesson from that was, oh, wait, neoliberalism is popular, even though we know <laughs> most, peop most people didn't vote for Biden. They voted to get rid of Trump. So Paul Begala, who worked for the Clintons, is a longtime what I call Democrat gas bag. Uh, not, and there's plenty of Paul Begala's on the Republican side, too. They're both terrible, Republicans, Democrats. But Paul Begala was on, uh, I think, CNN. And... He was asked about, you know, what's going on with Biden and the Democrats? Why is the why is he not getting anything done? Why is voting rights about to fall to, uh, you know, sadly, a, a death because of Manchin and Cinema? Uh, let's just play this whole clip because it really it really sets up a wonderful, wonderful reaction. Paul, let me start with you and the words of the daughter-in-law of Martin Luther King Jr., Andrea Waters King, this is what she told Politico, quote, what we have seen with President Biden is what happens when he puts the full force and power behind an issue like infrastructure. What we want to see is that same power and passion being put behind voting rights. Do you think that's fair criticism? Did President Biden put more effort 
into getting infrastructure passed, for example? Well, he he got infrastructure passed, and that's a good thing because success can can breed success. He is putting the full force of the presidency behind it. I, I think the problem for the Democrats right now is is not that they have bad leaders. They have bad followers. OK, I read the most amazing essay today from Andy Young. You know, Andy is former mayor of Atlanta, former U.N. ambassador, and more importantly, probably the closest confidant and aide to Dr. King. He told the story. December of 1964, uh, Andy Young and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. go to see Lyndon Johnson to push him for a Voting Rights Act. Johnson says, I can't do it. I, I used all my power to get the Civil Rights Act done last year. I don't have the power to push Congress any further on voting rights. As they left the White House, Andy Young's words, he said, I asked softly, I asked uh, Dr. King what he thought. He said, I think we got to go get the president some power. And so you know what they did? They organized. These are Andy Young's words. We mobilized the churches, the universities, the labor unions, the business community, a coalition of people of goodwill. In other words, those of us who want to save voting rights, we need to get to work. I, I do think Biden is putting everything behind this, but he needs he needs better followers. So he needs all of us in the game as well. I remember what he said about the power of big business in that moment in moving the hand of politicians. Steve, uh, <laughs> aside from that, aside from that Martin Luther King anecdote, uh, which, you know, I'm sure was accurate. Um, what are your thoughts that the president, who is the most powerful man on earth, I believe still, um, that he needs to. He needs to be given power from activists and, you know, voting rights groups and, you know, the whole uh, army of Democrat. He used the term followers uh, that he doesn't have enough power on his own or enough of the bully pulpit on his own. It's, it's our fault that nothing's getting done. <laughs> First of all. I'm going to age myself here, but tell me Paul Begala does not look like the great kazoo from the Flintstones. I mean, can't you imagine him with the green helmet like Roth Banerska of the Chargers? Anyway, that notwithstanding, it's, it's absolutely preposterous because you watch as the quote unquote bad followers gathered together to push Medicare for all to try to get it in there. And what happened to the great leader in chief? He fucking gave us the finger and walked away. He said, no, I'm not doing it. What happened with a green new deal? He says, I'm not backing a green new deal. Fuck a green new deal. I'm not doing a green new deal. There's all your followers, old Joe, Jolton Joe and a cup of Joe. He pushes us away every time we tell him what matters to us. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, after he's literally killed any kind of goodwill he had, coming out of getting rid of Trump. Now, all of a sudden, we're the bad guys and we're supposed to be lifting this sack of corpse up up the stairs. And it, it almost feels like one of those movies, you know, Weekend at Bernie's, except Weekend at Joe Biden's. And you could see him in the back. We're kind of propping him up and he's slumping over. This is the kind of fecklessness that has defined the Democratic Party for a long time now. But this right here is like next level stuff, man. He just... He outdid himself. Paul Begala went yard. He called his shot and he said, I am going to go so completely absurd. You can't even take it away from me. I am the, the OG of absurdity. He just went yard. Complete. Well, bullshit. There's, there's multiple things wrong with this. And reminder, folks, smash that like button right onto the video. Do it for us. Neither of us are attractive, but pretend you like us. Um, there's multiple things wrong with that. Number one, um, I don't know if Paul Begala realizes this, but there has been a lot of activism and protest on voting rights. So when he's saying 
There needs to be, you know, coalitions and grassroots, this and that. Uh, Reverend William Barber and Moral Mondays and the Poor People's Campaign, they've marched oh, on good. West Virginia. They've watched on D- marched on D.C. throughout a pandemic, by the way. Some of it's been virtual events, but a lot of it's been in-person stuff. Uh, marching, not just for the fil- filib- changing the filibuster, for the Build Back Better agenda. There's been a whole lot of grassroots activism to, quote, give the president the power, which is Paul Begala. And Paul Begala, just forget his name, just enter in Bill Clinton. This is the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party speaking. It's, it's Paul Begala's body, but this is the Clint- Clintonism. This is their view of things that when we lose, it has nothing to do with our policies. It has nothing to do with uh, a right word, a white word, a right word drift. Nothing to do with neoliberalism. It is because the activists didn't pressure us hard enough to do it or create the conditions hard enough to do it. It's laughable. So there has been activism on the ground for voting rights, uh, build back better, et cetera. Secondly, secondly, he has it backwards. You know, I wasn't born. I can't speak to Martin Luther King and that anecdote he gave, but he kind of has it backwards. And progressives, elected progressives should listen too, because when it, it starts with the actual political leader fighting, okay, and that activates your followers. He used the term followers, yeah. right? That activates the followers when they see you leading the charge to then fight harder. I'm talking flooding mansion and cinemas uh, Senate phones. I'm talking protests outside mansion and cinemas Senate offices. I'm talking protests in West Virginia and Arizona. I'm talking going after their donors, not physically, no violence, but, you know, uh, boycotting uh, doing business with some of their top donors. But that comes, you kind of need a bat signal. And this has been the problem with the elected progressives that you and I have spoke about. They haven't, uh, Bernie, uh, the squad, uh, if you want to say Rokana, they have not activated the base by aggressively going after Manchin and Cinema or Biden. So this notion that, oh, no, Biden is just, you know, he's powerless and he's just in some fetal position. And we need the activists. We need the activists to storm the gates of the Washington, not January 6th style, but like in protest to give Biden the political capital. It's half ass backwards. The truth is you just said it. He preemptively surrendered on a $15 minimum wage. That 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 wasn't because of Democratic followers. That was because of him. He he used yep. the BS parliamentarian. Public option, gone. Um, 2,000 tower checks, gone. Uh, um, police reform, Student reform debt. Gone, gone. Student debt, gone. None of that had to do with Democratic followers. And it's kind of a it's kind of a mutually exclusive thing. When the president and his party moonwalk away from these things, then you deflate the followers, as Paul Bagala says, who don't come out because you're not actually activating them. You got to go back to when I saw you for the first times, you know, Standing Rock and on uh, the big screen for TYT when you were covering the convention for the first go around. The, the base was electrified to, to support Bernie Sanders. It was electrified for progressive movement, electrified across the board. However, Democrats' own policies within the party have taken such a toll 
on the rank and file progressive and the people progressives are the ones that show up in the streets. It's not your rank and file business class establishment goon. They might go there with the pink pussy hats on, but the average is it, you don't have everybody going in the streets. You have progressives going in the streets. And when you don't have progressives going in the streets, you have to look within because progressives want change. They're willing to fight. They're ready to fight. They've been ready to fight. So you got to look at the fact that the Democratic Party keeps propping up people like Biden through their bullshit with their superdelegates and all the rest of it. So kind of when you think about a Voting Rights Act for the national, you ask yourself, what are we really getting? You know, there's so much structurally wrong here. And they're they're looking down. They're looking down at us. Begala looking down at us saying, hey, you guys need to give us air cover. But every step along the way, we're told to fall in line. Every step along the way, we're told just to shut up and eat our peas, Obama. Each step along the way, they have made us irrelevant, whether it be in Iowa, whether it be in New Hampshire, whether it be in Las Vegas, whether it be any of the other southern states when Clyburn put his thumb on there with Clinton, et cetera. Each time the activist base steps up and says, this is what we want, we're shut down, we're squashed. And so now all of a sudden they want to pull this card out about voting rights of all things. I mean, just just on its face, this is a very important subject, an incredibly important subject. And yet at the same time, it is so deliciously repulsive that they are trying to act like they're the champions for voting rights when, in fact, they have eliminated any sense of democracy from the selection process or the involvement of said activists that are now supposed to get excited about backing up a corpse who's up there in the White House. It's just incredible. Well, incredible. Well, I also well, I also think and I this Edward Snowden just happened to kind of say exactly what I was thinking too. Edward Snowden tweeted out, if you have this, Colin, at some point, the DNC corporate media blob may want to reconsider whether sabotaging the candidate with a genuine lifelong focus on the struggles of the working class was really the galaxy brain play they imagined. And under that, <laughs> he shows he shows that party identification, basically uh, uh, Republican party registration is going up while democratic registration is going down. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So what's amazing about that. And Snowden's right on literally what Paul Begala is describing. Oh, it's not the leaders that are problem. We need, it's our followers that aren't pulling their weight to quote, quote unquote, convince the leaders. We already established that's bullshit, but you actually had a massive grassroots army that any political party that cares about winning, uh, uh, setting up conditions for the future, would die to have young people, uh, younger black voters that Bernie did exceptionally well in, a lot of older voters that, you know, were kind of uh, revived under Bernie, uh, kind of a multi-working class coalition. Immigrants, Bernie did very well uh, in certain states, among, I mean, even Somalian Americans, we're talking, Bernie did incredibly well among Latinos. You had the followers that Paul Begala is referring to revved up, ready to go. And as Edward Snowden, he put it, uh, sat when you're, when, you might want to reconsider sabotaging the candidate twice, <laughs> might I add, in 2016 and 2020. We know Bernie made mistakes. You know, it's not just that he was sabotaged, particularly in my view, 2020 made some fatal mistakes, but it's almost like yeah. what he's describing. You could have had 
I don't think Bernie would have needed really activists to pressure him to do things. He would have been what we're talking about, activating the base to do things if he was president. I wish he would do more of that now. But it's just it's so backwards because they had what exactly what Bagala described as lacking right now. And they rigged it. They scorned those people. They said, shut up and fall in line to those people. They said, you know, Medicare for all will never, ever come to pass. Remember Hillary Clinton with, uh, in 2016? So you had this revved up, activated base, just not for, not, not for your donor-written policies. And they blew it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I really truly think back to, you know, the, the huge, uh, I can't remember, Northern California, Sacramento, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, pictures where you had the above shot and just it's just sea of bodies. You felt like you were at Woodstock. I mean, you, you remember in Brooklyn and along the it was just amazing how many people showed up. And I know that this is just a snapshot. But you know, when you've got momentum at your back, you got to learn to accept. Yes. Right. Don't don't keep, you know, turning yes away. You got to accept the yes. And, and they won't do it. They won't do it because there's something else going on. We can get into that some other time. But this is this is absolutely preposterous because ultimately the voting right, when you look at the history of what has gone on with African-Americans from the start of this country to present, they have been screwed at every step along the way. So this is absolutely a noble cause. There's absolutely nothing in not noble about it. But Snowden nailed it. I mean, this is the fact, Jack. When you have a politician that actually has the wind at their back, let them fly. But they instead clipped his wings and killed it for all of us. And now they want, hey, get get excited. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, as I always say, full screen, we live in the United Corporations of America. So the reason that they clipped Bernie's wings or chopped them off, shall we say, they rigged the primary, you know, the Iowa election app fiasco, all this nonsense. Uh, all, you know, at the end, after South Carolina, Obama stepping in, getting Amy Klobuchar to drop out, Mayor Pete to drop out, everybody fall in line for Biden. The media is cheerleading uh, for days ahead of Super Tuesday for Biden. The reason is because we live in the United Corporations of America, and that is what the donors demanded. It's the donors mm -hmm. setting the policy and the political puppets carrying it out why aren't they out there good... why aren't they out there raising their voices the donors <laughs> let them go out there and, and give them oh no air. they're raising their voices <laughs> they're raising their voices in cocktail parties uh over <laughs> caviar champagne uh you know all that but it's a good segue and again i this does not give me joy to report these things because don't get it twisted we might be critical of the democratic party that's not an endorsement of the republican party no, it's going to get a lot worse that. It's going to get, I mean, it's not going to get wonderful, folks, when Republicans take over in November. So we're not cheerleading this, but we have to report accurately what's going on. Uh, this is from Gallup. Uh, America now identifies as more Republican than Democrat after a 14-point swing towards the Republicans in 2021, Gallup. And uh, Colin, if you could show that Snowden tweet, because it has the graph that shows this. So... Uh, in the beginning of 2021, you saw a Republican uh, uh, U.S. Party identification. Democrats, 49% uh, of people, of Americans, uh, registered as Democrats, 40% as Republicans. Then you go into the second quarter of 2021, 
Uh, Democrats still at 49 percent. Republicans went up to 43 percent. Then by fall of last year, it's basically a tie. 45 percent registering for Democrats, 44 percent for Republicans. By Christmas, New Year's, Republicans go up three points. Democrats go down three points. So now you have 47 percent of uh, Americans self-identifying as Republican, 42 percent self-identifying as uh, Democrats. Democrats dropped in one year, 49 down to 42. And let's be clear, folks, just so we could be completely accurate, Steve, Republican Party, even in the minority, they're not they're not offering anything. What have no. they offered? They're trying. They are literally trying. They are literally trying across the country to not only suppress the vote, just literally steal the vote. I mean, these laws, oh, you can't hand out water on voting lines. You know, it's it's crazy. And you know what? I don't defend Biden often. I think what he said in that speech, comparing them to George Wallace and other things, is accurate. Of course, the media yeah. freaked out because they're they're the civility police. Republicans, voting rights, doing nothing. Republicans uh, are pushing abortion laws in states like Texas to basically make it bounty hunter Bounty hunters regulating abortion. Literally, that's the yeah. law on the book right now in Texas. Uh, I mean, every, everything else. We've seen uh, January 6th, the growing white supremacy uh, theme in the Republican Party, conspiracy theories. Uh, you know, oh, let's give uh, nearly $2 trillion, in, $2 trillion in tax cuts to the wealthy under Trump. And then when, uh, then when Trump is out, oh, we suddenly care about the debt. So this is all, I mean, re the Republicans aren't offering anything. But what I wanted to ask you, Steve, is if the Republicans aren't offering anything, what would be the reason then that if the Democrats are falling from 49 to 42, meaning at the beginning of 2021, 49% of Americans self-identify as Democrats, end of the year, it drops to 42%, and Republicans go up, uh, I believe that was to 47%, well, that would indicate People who identify as Democrats are moving to Republicans. I mean, I know I think I know the reason. What are your thoughts on that pretty big swing to Republicans? Well, I'm going to say it in a couple of phases here. Number one is that there's a lot of purple people out there, right? They they swing back and forth between the parties based on various things. Whatever is going on at the time, they swing back. I think a lot of it has to do with the COVID response. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of people didn't like the lockdowns, as they say. I don't think we ever really had lockdowns. I wish we would have had lockdowns, but they didn't. And the worst part was is that because the lockdowns didn't come with any kind of economic understanding, because the Democrats didn't provide shit for anyone, uh, people said, well, hell with it. I, I'm, I'm a Democrat because I see collective solutions. And when the Democrats don't act like collectivists, they don't do things for the people, they say, well, screw it. I may as well get mine. And they go back over here to the other side. So Democrats, I, I said this throughout the entire campaign, and I was laughed at. I was smeared. I was crapped on. I'm telling you right now, and I stand on I'll stand on it next election, too. When you elect a Democrat who is feckless, who is a conservative, because there's nobody that does conservatism better than Republicans. But when you elect a Democrat that behaves as a Republican, has a history of behaving like a Republican, you get a watered-down, neoliberal, identity politics-driven kind of uh, feckless response to what's ailing society. And it is absolutely like, like 
cloning. It's it's like catnip for clones, cloning Trumpers, cloning, creating people that are so disaffected, so just nihilistic from the system because it has failed miserably, miserably. It's not speculative. People did not get any kind of payout from being shut down for all that time. I mean, it, promises were made, Jordan. Promises were made. And when they didn't come through and when they acted like we were foolish and when they saw Biden couldn't even control cinema and mansion, when, when they saw he couldn't do anything, they're like, well, screw that. The only reason I'm even voting this way was because, uh, you know, I was promised, you know, there'd be cake or something like that. When they realized there was absolutely shit coming from the Democrats, you see that swing. And it's it's clear as day. And it, it will always be this way. You will always see the cyclical swing when Democrats don't deliver for the people. And so in that sense, if it's real, this is what's happening. The other aspect of this I think is very important. I'll just leave it at this, is that the people are still kind of caught between two worlds. They didn't capture the signaling of the economics of the pandemic. They didn't actually express it in a way that the regular Jane and Joe six pack understand it. And because of the inflation and the gouging and the cost increases and stuff like that, the Republicans are waving their hands saying, what about inflation? What about this? What about that? It's all going to hell and back. And so it's that kind of feckless messaging also that's creating people saying, well, maybe the Republicans can handle this inflation thing because they'll cut spending. And I think that that's right. genuinely part of it, too. But, you know, it's another thing also. You know, I'm not a big fan of James Carville, but one thing he said is true. It's the economy, stupid. Yes, Trump it is. Re re reports came out after the election. Obviously, he's still spewing his nonsense that the election was stolen. It wasn't. To be clear, it wasn't. Um, but reports came out that he was like, well, you know, McConnell cost us the election. I wanted another $2,000 check to go out. And Mitch and the Republicans, you know, convinced me otherwise. Basically, Trump said, if I would have just done another stimulus check, I would have won the election. And you want to know something? He's probably right. He's probably yep. right. And you want to know something? If Biden and the Democrats which was never going to happen because, again, the donors don't want it. The donors don't want to open that Pandora's box of actual, like, consistent help, relief, whatever you want to call it, social welfare, this and that, particularly during a pandemic, because then the jig is up. Then the, that line, how are we going to pay for it? It's up. Oh, wait, we can pay for these things. Oh, the, the world won't, uh, the country won't crumble. So if Biden, at the bare minimum, would have given, let's say, a couple checks of $2,000 to people, uh, if Biden, at the bare minimum, would do one or two economic actions, economic executive actions, cannabis, we could start with that. Let's say executive student action, debt. cancel. I don't think it's enough, but let's cancel 20 grand in student loan debt. Want to know something? Would, would, would go a long way to maybe not, maybe it would still be con competitive elections, but you actually have things to run on. You actually yeah. are helping certain voting groups. Uh, Colin, I don't know if you have it, but Crystal Ball uh, tweeted this out uh, the other day. Uh, Biden's approval among voters under 30 dropped from a 70%, dropped from 70% to 42% over the course of a single year. That's double the decline of any other day age demo. So again, 70 to 42 under the age of 30. Well, young people came <laughs> out in higher numbers in 2020 for this 70 year old right winger 
because they wanted to get rid of Trump. But what were those young people promised, right? $15 minimum wage. This is the uh, 9-11 slash Iraq war slash financial crash generation. A lot of them are still living with their parents because the economy yep. never normalized for the younger generation. What were these people promised? Canceling some student loan debt or at least some type of relief. So it's not rocket science. And by the way, this is what happens, not just in America, in other countries too. Why do you think Bolsonaro rose to power in Brazil? Because there is no middle class in Brazil. You're either really rich or really poor. There was no real alternative, uh, uh, a populist alternative. So phony populists like Bolsonaro or Trump, uh, they rise, they sprinkle some economic populism with a whole lot of culture war. So, yep. you know, it just, it seems to me, uh, I don't want to get into political predictions, but it does not look good for Democrats in November. Uh, I, I, unless something radically changes, it doesn't look so swell in 2024 either. And why this is such a problem is it, it's a setback for the progressive movement too, because Huge. obviously Republicans, once, mm -hmm. once they take over, you're not only fighting neoliberalism, then you're fighting, you know, radical conservatism. Uh, so you're fighting it on both ends while now we could have just been fighting Biden, but we didn't really have that leadership among the elected progressives to fight Biden. Uh, the elected progressives, I asked Rokana, why don't you guys go down to West Virginia and shame this man? Uh, we don't really think that would make a difference. So I don't really get why the strategy wouldn't be myself, Senator Sanders, the whole gang is going to West Virginia, is going to Arizona. Instead of trying to negotiate with corporatists, go on these people's front doors and put pressure on them. I'm not sure mobilizing in, in Manchin's district where Trump carried it by 30% is actually what's gonna move him uh, on these policies. Well, Manchin is, you know, he's all of West Virginia, not a district. And I would remind you, Bernie won every county in West Virginia. So yeah. <laughs> boy, oh boy, Rose spent too much time with those Silicon billionaires, hasn't he? I mean, he's just not, I, I've, I've lost a lot of respect for Rose. I, I remember, sitting on the White House, not the White House, but the Capitol lawn, doing a, a big rally with him uh, for Met millions for Medicare at the time it was called. And I sat there and I talked to him one-on-one, -on -one, shook his hand. I said, now there's a guy who's got the charisma to be president someday. I really felt like that when I first met him. That was four years ago, I think, four, three, four years ago. I, I wouldn't vote for him for dog catcher at this point. It really is disappointing to see how he is. He knows stuff too. He really does. I mean, I personally had conversations with the man and, and to hear him now, you he's been co-opted or he's something has happened that has fundamentally changed him because he has lost that progressive angle. He is no longer even pretending at least it doesn't feel like it anyway. Um, but yeah, it's a disaster. I mean, on what our disaster. On one end, I at least respect that he's willing to come on shows like Status Quo. I mean, that's right. a lot more than the rest of the squad. Not just Status Quo, but I mean, you barely see the squad on any independent shows. Uh, sometimes they're on CNN and other platforms, but they're not on uh, you know independent progressive shows. Uh, so I respect that he comes on. But on the other end, at a certain point, you know, the definition of insanity is just repeating the same thing over and over. So. I mean, I even saw Ro Khanna, I think, quoted in the Washington Post, still saying Biden is, you know, uh, Biden has really abandoned the neoliberal project. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. What, what are you talking about? I, I mean, it, it's just you have to think whether they've been co-opted or they're just incredibly naive or a mix of everything. This 
you know, it's not all on progressives because progressives don't have majorities to force Biden's hands. But progressives from the start, you know, a, a, a short example, people called it a, a photo op. Well, it was an effective photo op. When Cori Bush, when she went out on the Capitol steps, did activism, showing up the Democratic Party, showing up Biden, who was letting that eviction moratorium expire. Uh, I think it was at some point in the summer. Well, that act activated others to show up, activated other politicians to show up. The media started covering it. And what do you know? Suddenly, Biden and the Democrats figured out a way to extend the moratorium. We know how it ended. Supreme Court knocked it down, this and that. But that's just one example when they actually did activism, when they were willing to take a break from diplomatic negotiations within the Democratic Party uh, and thumb their nose in, in the face of the Democratic Party. They drew media coverage. They drew social media traction on that action. And it forced Biden's hand. There's basically been no, none, of, none of that on other areas. Uh, you know, AOC could have been leading the Sunrise Movement protests at in front of Manchin's yacht. Can you imagine the media would eat that up? Huge. Uh, they, yeah. yeah, they, and they're not. And, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, everybody has their phrases. Uh, to me, it's a mixture of naivete, maybe ca cowardice, that they don't want to cross that line. Uh, maybe they truly have been seduced in Washington. Oh, no, we got to play the long game here. We can't alienate. We can't piss off Pelosi and this and that because they promised us if we play a little, if we play along a little bit longer, uh, we'll get X, Y, and Z, whatever committee seats or exceptions to exemptions to pay go. Well, how's all that working out? How's all that working out? And now you're going to be in the minority. You're going to be in the minority in November, politically speaking. So make no mistake, folks. This isn't. We're not cheerleading that the Republicans are going to take over. We're just trying to explain why. Because to me. Biden still has the opportunity right now. If he did a few executive actions, uh, sprinkled in actually publicly going on a crusade against Manchin and Cinema. Remember, the harshest thing Biden has said or done to, to Manchin and Cinema, Jen Psaki came out angry after Manchin went on Fox News and said, uh, you know, I'm 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 a no on Build Back Better. The White House put out a harsh statement, then the you know, Joe Manchin revolted and then they walked it back. Well. Joe, that just showed you Joe Manchin could get bothered underneath the collar. Joe Manchin got bothered underneath the collar when Bernie Sanders wrote an op-ed in a West Virginia newspaper. But that's it. They do these things and then they stop. Yeah. So, yeah. No follow any other thoughts before we, Zero. Any, th any other thoughts before we move on? Yeah. I mean, you see the, the, the gentleman's club, this whole, uh, you know, politics of politeness. OK, and you see a lot of advisor level people that are into this politics of politeness. And it may be exactly how you have to negotiate to get things done. For all I know, I'm not in there. I can't speak to it. But I can tell you this. That is not going to invigorate any activist base. And if you're actually looking for a populist movement to support your efforts, you're going to have to give them something to hang on to. And and this whole gentlemen's club we're, we're not going to criticize anyone publicly we're going to hide behind the shadows and do our dueling back door that's not getting it done and they're already going to get their clock cleaned in this next election why not take this time to beat the taste out of uh uh you know mansion and cinema why not beat them down hard why not really put a bullseye on them and attack 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 you're already going to lose them being in office is a false positive that may give you 
uh, control and you may have the speaker. But we've had that and nothing has been put forward. Nothing. So to me, now's the time to clean house and really, really, who are you? What do you stand for? What is it you want? And and they can't even articulate a clear message of, of what they want and what they are and who they plan to elevate and what they have nothing, zero. So to me, you know, Biden is going to do what Biden's already done. The squad's going to do what the squad's already done. And there's going to be people out there that will defend them tooth and nail, regardless of how bad it is. And and there are people out there who sadly believe what Paul Begala said, which is he's got bad supporters. So there are people out there that really believe that shit. So I don't know what to say beyond that. And uh, moving on to another exciting topic about the United Corporations of America. Uh, news has come out that uh, in this pandemic, uh, billionaires added $5 trillion to their fortunes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, at some point you have to laugh because it prevents you from crying. Uh, but billionaires added $5 trillion to their fortunes. Colin, let's play the clip. Uh, from the CNN economics person. Yeah, you know, Casey, when times are tough, the rich get richer. When times are good, the rich get richer. You see the pattern there? The pandemic, a profit machine for the world's richest people. A new report from Oxfam finds billionaires added five trillion with a T to their fortunes during the pandemic, jumping from 8.6 trillion in March 2020 to 13.8 trillion as of November. That's a bigger jump than in the previous 14 years combined. Now that's all billionaires. Let's look at the combined wealth of just the world's richest 10 men. That includes Tesla's Elon Musk, uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, you see him there. Their wealth more than doubled during the pandemic, jumping by, get this, 1.3 billion a day, every day. All told, their total worth is six times greater than the world's poorest 3.1 billion people. It's, it's almost mind-boggling. So how did this happen? Well, central banks pumped trillions of dollars into financial markets to, stay, to save the economy, Casey, during the pandemic. That set off a stock market boom. That lined the pockets of billionaires. Oxfam says this inequality is not by chance. They say it's by choice. And governments should tax those gains and use the money to fund health care vaccines to address the climate crisis. You've heard calls, as you know, in this country, in the U.S., to tax wealth, not earnings of the super rich. You know, their money doesn't come from a salary or hourly earnings like regular workers. It comes from the stakes they have in their companies, their investments. So they're, I guess you could say the super rich are, they're, they're different than the rest of us, Casey. <laughs> well, at least, uh, at least, I don't know, maybe that was an accidental admission that they said, you know, they're different than the rest of us. And, you know, maybe part of the reason they're different than the rest of us is I, the CNN economics reporter, don't really report on corruption or, uh, you know, politicians being bribed by these very rich, uh, wealthy people like Elon Musk. We don't really like to report on the fact that Elon Musk was made, uh, whatever he is, a billionaire because of government-funded research for Tesla. I could go on. But this is your sweet spot. They explain that these uh, billionaires uh, became $5 trillion richer in large part because of the super soaker that the Fed put out there throughout this pandemic. Could you break that down for the dummies, uh, how how that worked, that these billionaires became even richer? So, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of cracks me up because the Fed can't create money to give out to people like that. That's not how it works. Uh, you know, they can change the form of debt. They can change it from treasuries and stuff to more liquid forms of cash or whatever, but they can't pump money into That's not how this works. 
but she was right on so many things. There's probably uh, give her 80 percent on that one. Um, one of the things that good. she really nailed out there. Uh, yeah, I mean, so as far as it goes, obviously, those taxes are really not about funding any initiative. So th that's part of the 20 that she gets wrong. But that the idea of taxing wealth as opposed to income is exactly the correct statement there. I was very happy to hear that. I don't hear that from many people. That was a nice thing because what we're really trying to do is we're trying to tax away the power these billionaires have over our lives, not so much to fund programs, right? Their ability to buy and sell our government, to make deals across you know, country lines with other multinationals and other governments, quite frankly, is, is staggering. The, the amount of things that they can do with that money apart from the nation without a blessing, so to speak, without the people behind it. I mean, this is truly the the crowning achievement of neoliberalism is is that that point of those 10 making that much money during a pandemic, for God's sake. I mean, you think it's bad to see politicians get rich when they're in office. How much more disgusting is it to see people make that much profit over the death and suffering of the world, not just the U.S., the world? It's amazing hubris, and it's right there in your face. The fact is, is that we could have solved so many of these problems of them getting that much money by simply putting the money, spending that money down to the little people so that they have choices where to spend it, but simultaneously having that wealth tax at the top to prevent that mass perverse collection of the GDP of the nation. I mean, they got a huge vacuum just sucking up all the production right up to the top, and it never makes it to Jane and Joe public ever, ever. It stays in that fire sector in the uh, you know investment community. This is what is making stock market go crazy, right? Because there's lots of money to play with there. It is not making it to Main Street. So that real division between the haves and have-nots. It looks bad in numbers, but it's even worse in practice because you see people really struggling right now mightily as these guys are literally – they don't even know what it's like to be in the other world. They have no idea what the rest of us are feeling. They don't care either because you know the movie Don't Look Up for all its warts and everything was a fantastic movie, and it points to this kind of thing right here as it stands. The absurdity of it all should really, really make each one of us stand up and take notice and really get prepared to fight back. Forget Biden's corpse begging us to fight for him. We need to be fighting about this because we couldn't even get $2,000 checks. But these guys, I mean, Elon Musk got $5.9 billion in subsidies for Tesla. $5.9 billion. And we couldn't get $2,000 checks? Are you kidding right. me? And by it's the way, and by the way, let me just uh, point out, uh, according to the World Bank, this is from a CNN article, according to the World Bank, uh, estimates that 97 million people worldwide fell into extreme poverty in 2020 and are now living on less than two dollars a day. The number of the world's poorest also rose for the first time in 20 years. So this is Criminal. at the same time as billionaires made another five trillion. Uh, but I'll also point out what she didn't mention. Uh, which doesn't really get talked about. It's kind of like climate change. They don't talk about it. It's not sexy. They don't think it will rate. There's one common denominator with a lot of these billionaires. Uh, they're monopoly men. They have monopolies. Yep. Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, many of these others. Uh, they've not only rigged the market, 
not only in the case of Amazon, literally stole from other companies, IP, proprietary information, um, which is a huge scandal. A lot of Amazon's growth has been by basically stealing formulas from smaller businesses, then creating knockoff Amazon products, rising Amazon, rising Amazon's knockoff product in Amazon's algorithm and burying the original uh, small business that created certain things. Uh, but a huge reason while these billionaires are getting richer is we have monopolies uh, basically hoarding uh, the demand uh, in this country throughout the pandemic. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, 1984, we broke up the bell system for far less, uh, you know, egregious behavior. I mean, the, the phone companies were broken up and then they reemerged and now we're down to what but a handful of them again, right? Antitrust monopoly busting behavior has got to become the flavor of the day. We have got to get that to become a, a thing. We've got to get it back in in Fuego. We got to get that in the Overton window because if we don't eliminate this kind of monopoly behavior, I mean, that's where most of your inflation is coming from right now is monopoly behaviors across the fuel industry and these other rich bastards that are sitting there gouging the hell out of the public. This monopoly behavior is so corrosive to a functioning democracy in the United States, much less survival around the world. I mean, think about the lack of ability to get the damn vaccines in these very impoverished nations. Bill Gates holding on to the damn patents like he's, you know, Scrooge. It's ridiculous. I mean, this is behaviors that if we don't take this part seriously to purge corruption, to go after this there's no point in talking about a lot of the other downstream issues. This is like that ground zero. You got to fix this to see change down here. If that, if we don't fix that, we're screwed. That's big time, Jordan. And the other element that she conveniently left out, well, a common denominator, none of these companies are unionized. So when Jen Psaki and the Biden administration are, you know, uh, very loud and proud and hand-rigging those Chicago's, School teachers, they need to get their ass back into school. They'll comment on that strike and they'll give their opinion on that strike. But Amazon workers trying to unionize in Alabama, in New York, other workers trying to unionize, they literally wouldn't talk about it saying, well, legally, we can't really wade into it. We'll just give the rubber stamp uh, rubber stamp statement. Uh, we believe you know, in workers' rights to uh, unionize. So this makes a difference because you want to know something? Could have made a difference during that pandemic. In terms of wages, real hazard pay, if Amazon workers across the country were unionized, if Tesla workers across the country were unionized, does it mean Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk wouldn't have you know, uh, become a lot richer? No, they would become richer, but there would be some restraint, some redistrib redistribution of the wealth. Hell, I talk to even nurses uh, that tell me, yeah, uh, we got like some hazard pay or like a one-time bonus at some point throughout this. And then they took it away. Uh, same thing with Amazon workers, this and that. So part of why they're getting five trillion richer is we live in this economic hunger games. Workers have no real leverage other than right now what we're seeing, the strikes. But those workers are able to strike because most of them are unionized and they have that union foundation to go on strike, which doesn't even give you doesn't even give you a guarantee, Steve of yeah. victory. Look at the Alabama coal miners who have been striking now for eight or nine months. Um, but 
gives you a fighting chance. A lot of these strikes that were successful were in large part successful because of their unions. So I think it should not be discounted. We live in an economic hunger games. We union percentage is probably at a 30, 40 year low in America. And that plus the monopoly power we just talked about, it gives these, it gives these corporate vultures free reign to do whatever the hell they want. I want to be clear on something, though. As much as unionization is very important, you see a huge divide between the union bosses and the union members, and that divide yes. is dramatic. We are talking about, like, the union bosses may as well be Amazon. They may as well be part of the board, and in some cases probably are on the board, for all I know, of these corporations. I, I'm just talking. Don't take me seriously on that one. I, I don't know. But the point is, is that they're not representing the people. I talked to a guy named Joe Burns, who is one of the uh, power uh, labor uh, lawyers that works with Sarah Nelson. And he talked point blank about how these union bosses spend all their time in D.C. They're in D.C. They're not in the plants. They're not in the factories. They're not in any of the stores or working uh, locations. They are in D.C. rubbing elbows with all the hobnobbing in, in Capitol Hill. And they are living the fruits of a five-star, uh, all amenities included lifestyle that Washington, D.C. can provide them. And so they're not going to rock the boat to ruin their gravy train. And that's exactly what it is. They're on a gravy train too. So this is a real conundrum. I don't know the answer to it. I don't know how to make the bosses represent the people, but you saw this clearly with the, uh, the uh, culinary uh, union in Nevada, where they were fighting about, they didn't want people to have Medicare for all because they felt like they had worked hard for getting their Cadillac plan or whatever. And so you see these weird divides throughout this union process. I think it's important to unionize, but I think it's even more important to keep in mind why you're unionizing. What is the point of being in a union? The point of being in a union is to provide power, power to labor, to give labor a say-so in what's happening. And right now, those union bosses, they're not representing labor. And finally, and remember, smash that like button. If, you, if you've made it this far, share this live stream. Uh, like button is right under the stream. Uh, real quick, I just want to let you know, as we're doing this, uh, voting rights activists have been arrested at the White House protesting, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> on, uh, at, Capitol, on, on, at Capitol Hill. Capitol Police have now arrested voting rights activists in Washington, D.C., while peacefully protesting for voting rights, including uh, Black Vote Matters co-founders. Black Vote Black Voters Matter is, uh, you know, a voting rights group. So got to love it. Uh, protesters protesting for voting rights arrested can't have you can't have you near uh the capital <laughs> so that's going on that's happening while we're uh doing this um i wanted to move on to one more topic that i don't know it's just this all of this is dystopian but this is really really something chevron which as you know status quo is covered chevron's corporate political crusade against steven donzinger he is the human rights attorney he beat Chevron in court. Chevron was forced to pay $9.5 billion for poisoning the uh, the Amazon in Ecuador, dumping their waste. We're talking billions of gallons of waste they dumped into the water in Ecuador, poisoned uh, people in Ecuador. You're talking birth defects, cancers, people dying, still haven't cleaned it up, still haven't paid the $9.5 billion. 
instead of paying the $9.5 billion, they've spent millions going after the human rights attorney who beat them. So that company, Chevron, uh, they're now hiring journalists for their newsroom. <laughs> like, this is not the onion. This is happening. <laughs> Calling all climate journalists. I'm just reading from an article at uh, Gizmodo. Calling all climate journalists. Your dream job awaits, courtesy of Chevron. <laughs> The oil, the oil giant is looking to hire people with journalistic experience to build out a, quote, newsroom. <laughs> Quotes around the word included in the job posting to help spread the good news about Chevron. They, they crossed out propaganda. So at least Gizmodo is like, <laughs> you know, calling this what it is. The new venture was first reported by E&E &E on Friday in, an, in a hilarious twist that merits nomination for its own Pulitzer, E&E first learned of the new venture when one of its own reporters was approached by Sela, the staffing agency doing the hiring for Chevron. The recruiter told the staffer that the job is a, quote, great opportunity to join Chevron's newsroom at its infancy. When the E&E &E <laughs> reporter asked what topics the position would write about and if climate change would be included, the recruiter said it would be covering all things Chevron. The original job listing titled Business Writer Oil and Energy was posted to LinkedIn uh, by Sela and doesn't mention Chevron by name. Uh, quote, our ambition is to proactively tell the story of Chevron through engaging consumer first digital content. Just like other companies, we are working to evolve the way we create and deliver our branded content, blah, blah, blah. So uh, Chevron. I guess <laughs> is looking to do intrepid journalism. I'm sure the front page of whatever Chevron's newspaper or website will be, will be really tenacious reporting on Chevron's oil spills, uh, Chevron's <laughs> leaks into waterways, Chevron's uh, paying, you know, working with police to beat the living hell out of environmental protesters and indigenous protesters. I really, you know, I tell people to sign up as a paying member to status coup. Uh, I would re I, I would have to consider signing up for this intrepid journalism, Steve. The, the Daily Lube. I mean, is that <laughs> going to be called the Daily Lube as they screw us? Yeah, that's embarrassing. I mean, it, it, it's hilarious. It, it would be fun to see The Onion cover it like a serious story and watch people not believe it. I mean, it, it, this is pure Onion material all the way. But it is a testament, though, to how far they will go to cover their tracks and to really really propagandize uh you know a nation and you know there's most people that are uh, you know keen to these kind of companies game they won't pick up on it but there's too many people out there who are 15 minutes of clicking on the remote and going about their lives something like this might just work with them and that's all it takes is just enough people to not care about it to uh to allow them to do pretty much whatever the hell they want to do so it's it's got to be a highly effective propaganda campaign, I can imagine. I'll also tell you, I mean, we're laughing about it because you have to laugh because it's so what fucking else you gonna do? insane. It's also pretty scary, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when they use the term branded content, I don't want to bore people, but a lot of times on Facebook and other places, you see content that almost looks like a news story, but it's actually a paid advertisement. And it, unless you're really paying attention to it, it's hard to tell. Uh, that's kind of what branded content is. It kind of looks like a news story, but it's actually just a paid advertisement. 
And essentially, if Chevron is creating news articles, you'll probably see that those articles, which are going to basically recreate reality uh, to make it seem like there is no climate catastrophe, like, you know, I'm sure wonderful stories on great technology and natural gas and whatever other bullshit they come up with. It's just going to be sprinkled on your Facebook page, uh, other social media, and it's going to look like real news when it's really just paid either they're pay, paid ads or other things. And you want to know something? If you haven't noticed, Steve, we, we have a significant portion of the populace that sometimes can't really tell the difference between like what, whatever real news is these days and propaganda. So that's yeah. the problem. They are going to sprinkle in because they'll get, I'm sure they're going to give sickening, disgustingly high salaries to these soulless schmucks who take journalism jobs with Chevron, whoever takes the journalism jobs at Chevron obviously doesn't really care about journalism per se. They'll make their whatever, $300,000, $400,000 a year to basically be PR stooges for Chevron. Uh, but my point is you're going to see a lot of these articles sprinkled in on Twitter, Facebook, whatever uh, other platforms. And a lot of other people aren't going to be able to dis dis distinguish and understand that this is actual propaganda because it's going to look like a news article well the the good news jordan and we can all settle ourselves down and be relaxed about this now is that facebook and them have fact checkers they'll go through there certainly and identify all the lies and they'll block it so don't worry man facebook's got it covered don't worry meta and by the way do, do you know that do you know that facebook or meta uh <laughs> one of their fact checkers i forget the name i think it was one of their fact checkers what was Bill Crystal's outlet back in the day? American Standard or something like that? Yes, uh, yes. I forget. But one of their one of their fact checkers was Bill Crystal's old right wing rag. <laughs> I was a fact checker. Um, so yeah, For you're right. Climate and, issues, probably right. <laughs> right. And by the way, this is you know I've seen this at Standing Rock and other stories I covered. Uh, they not only I mean Chevron of these oil companies not only place their money on CNN. In the New York Times, uh, political playbook, you see, you know, sponsored by Chevron, sponsored by Energy Transfer Partners. So they, through their buying off media, the media doesn't aggressively cover the climate catastrophe. The media doesn't aggressively cover these environmental uh, uh, protests at Standing Rock, Line 3, because they're taking money from Chevron. So you already, not just Chevron, but all of them. So you already have that. And now we're adding fake news outlets and I hate to use the term fake news because it sounds Trumpian, but this is literally going to be fake news. Fake news. <laughs> right. Uh, it's just dystopian. It, it's And it's really, it's a game of whack-a-mole now. You know, I'm not one of these people that's like pointing out like, no, no, don't, don't watch this news. Don't sense, you know, uh, people know what I think about corporate media, but this really is a now a, an increasing game of whack-a-mole that people are going to have to in their news diet. How do you tell? That this is Chevron, Chevron paid for journalism rather than just a news story, because that's going to be the point of what they're doing. They're doing it to make it look like blended, prestigious news outlet when it's really just Chevron PR dressed up as journalism. It's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see, you know, the other thing that I'm worried about is you know those short videos, the three minute viral videos, two minute viral videos that they create. They're almost like mini documentaries. Nas done them. All these different, you know, folks do these like short little infomercials. 
I could see that starting to flood through and, and those things share like crazy. They're easy shares, especially if they're not branded, like, like, you know, this is the Chevron thing. I think that is the real danger is because people don't even look to see, they don't look to see who paid for it. They don't look to see any of that stuff. They go, Oh, that's really neat. Share, share, share. And uh, boy, oh boy, that, that right there is, Oh, that's horrible. That's scary as shit. Sure is. Uh, Steve, tell folks uh, you got you got you're now getting back into the broadcasting game. So you're now, I believe, every Monday. Tell people what are you up to with Real Progressives and your other entities. Sure. So uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I uh, do a show called The Rogue Scholar. Um, it's either a short, you know, usually 35 minute uh, interview with someone, or it'll be myself uh, getting up on my soapbox, blaring out. Uh, but that's Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon on uh, Real Progress in Action YouTube channel. Um, the other noon East, is noon, obviously- noon Eastern. Noon Eastern, yes, right? noon Eastern. Thank you. Yes, exactly. And of course, the other is our Saturday morning release of our podcast, Macro and Cheese. That right there is really the bread and butter. It's where where I put my most energy. But this new uh, show, The Rogue Scholar, is actually starting to pick up i really have uh enjoyed it it's short it's quick quick hits and uh yeah, we'll see if it goes anywhere i'm enjoying doing it and you got to be on there soon brother yeah i wanted to come on but i've been busy with this flint story this week so i'll definitely get on when i can uh where could people find it on real progressives youtube channel yeah you could go to real progress in action youtube channel is where we're doing it um you can also find it on our website real progressives.org uh, under media the rogue scholar is one of the uh, media channels that we cover there as well absolutely please check and, it uh, out. yeah we're gonna uh we're gonna be having steve on at least once a week now so i'm looking forward to having him on thank you steve for joining us uh everybody reminder i really really beg you read the flint story i just broke yesterday it was in the guardian it's at the top of my twitter page retweet it not like retweet it and like it share it um please if you can tweet at other independent media hosts to cover it in a nutshell myself and charlie laduff he's a pulitzer prize winning journalist we worked on the story together we revealed there were major financial fraud charges in the works related to the flint water crisis financial fraud that led to the poisoning of flint those charges were in the works but then when the current Democratic Attorney General of Michigan, Dana Nessel, came in, she fired the prosecutors that were building that case. She appointed her own prosecutors. And what do you know? No RICO charges, as well as other separate financial fraud charges that had been already filed related to fraud that led to the Flint water crisis. Those were dropped, too. Why does this matter? Because it's not just about Flint. This kind of financial fraud, as Steve has reported on in other places, this kind of stuff is going on all over the country, from local municipalities to towns to big cities, bond, uh, bond deals uh, where governments issue money, fraud, uh, shady uh, stuff and borderline illegal stuff going on with bond deals, uh, other types of financial deals that are being made by the politicians to sell out you your water systems, your sewer systems, your garbage uh, pickup, you name it. So it's not just about Flint. And I hope when you read the story, yes, it's about what led to the Flint water crisis, but you'll realize this isn't happening in a vacuum. This kind of stuff is not just happening in Flint. 
that's why I stay on it because if the people responsible both for the cover-up in Flint, now the financial crimes in Flint, which we have exposed in this piece, uh, if they get away with it, that's the playbook, folks. Other mayors, other governors, other you know city councilmen, other landowners, other banks, because there were banks involved in what Charlie and I just reported. They're not going to blink twice. Oh, they poisoned some people in Flint. Nobody's been convicted. Let's go. So that's why it's really important. And by the way, just want to give a shout out because, by the way, I published this in The Guardian. But make no mistake, I would not have been able to break this story or any of the other stories related to the Flint water crisis without people signing up as a status quo member. I've been to Flint 18 times. Many of that was when with the Young Turks at first, but I've been to Flint at least eight or nine times funded by status coup members. You guys funded myself uh, for some of those trips, Jen, when she was still with us, to go to Flint. I could not build the sources that I've built. I could not, you know, the documents that we obtained. Uh, breaking this information, you know, you don't just kind of get this information via facts. You have to kind of go places and dig find out where the bodies are buried. So you guys funding status coup is how we've been able to break stories like this. I want to give a shout out. We had a couple new members sign up. So welcome new member, Robert. Welcome new member, Dana. Welcome new member, Dwight, Janice, uh, Miss. I'm totally botching that. I don't know how to pronounce it. Hera, it's like Heronymous. Uh Kevin, and Amy, so that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven over the last two days. Please consider signing up. With respect to my allies and the rest of independent media, we're actually investigating things. We're actually on the ground covering things that no one else is covering. That's much more expensive than you know sitting in a studio giving your analysis. Not that that's not, not that that's not valuable, but we have a lot bigger overhead. So I hope we're showing you through these stories we're breaking. Consider signing up, statuscoup.com slash join. Thank you for sitting through that, Steve. Uh, and thank you guys for watching. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Everybody check out uh, Real Progress uh, in Action in on action. YouTube. Real Progress yes. in Action on YouTube. Go subscribe right now. And uh, thanks for joining me, Steve. You got it, man. Look forward to the next one.